0: We're going to get started in just a moment. I know some people have been bugging me. They say, when are you getting back to, your, to, to the Revelation series? Next week, we'll, we'll go back and we will finally finish that series. Um, but today, we want to talk about Easter stuff. I want to talk about the hope of Easter. And, uh, you know, it's amazing as I was here during worship in the first service. And even backstage just praying and listening to it now again during the second service. But uh, uh, it's amazing. All the songs were hitting exactly on what I want to talk about uh, today, You know about the old, I'm not the way I used to be, and the old man is gone, and I've been set free. And, uh, and so I want to talk about that today. It's fitting. It's, it's, it's a great topic. It's an important topic to talk about at Easter, that Jesus came and died on a cross and rose again, and we have hope because of that. And uh, but I think sometimes you know when it comes to the hope of Easter, I think sometimes we uh, we have too shallow an understanding. See, people say, uh, uh, you know, why did Jesus die on a cross and, and rise from the dead? And and we give the answer, you know, he came to forgive our sins, and that is 100% correct. There's nothing wrong. I'm not making fun of that answer. That is a completely correct answer, um, and it's totally right. But there's so much more to it than just that. Okay, there's so much more to it. If, if all Jesus did was just forgive us of our sins, we would just go right back into sin and death. He did more for us. I mean, yes, he came to forgive us our sins, but he did more for us than that. And, uh, and in order to fully appreciate what he did, we have to more fully appreciate the problem. Okay, the problem that is and the problem that was. And until we can understand that, we won't fully be able to just enter into the glory of what Easter is all about. So, and and, and in order to get our heads more around the problem, the problem that is and the problem that was, the problem that Jesus came to to solve, we have to go back to the beginning and see how the problem started. And so I want to start this message off by just uh, reading you a couple of snippets from Romans 5. I wish we could go through the whole passage. The whole passage is actually about this. Um, But I don't have time because there's some other passages I want to spend a lot of time with in this message. But I want to read you, just to get this message started, before we can understand the hope of Easter, we first have to understand the problem. And uh, and so a couple of snippets we read in Romans chapter 5. I would encourage you to read this, go back and read this chapter during the week. Um, um, But anyway, in Romans 5, verse 12, Paul talks about the the problem extensively, the problem that Jesus came to solve. Verse 12, he says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, okay, and that's Adam. Okay, how, how would you like to be Adam? Okay, you are the cause of all the problems ever, and it's in the Bible, okay? Um, but therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread all men because all sin, okay? And so, I mean, I haven't showed you anything new yet here uh, this morning. I mean, the, the problem is sin and death. Jesus came to solve this problem of sin and death, okay? But there's more to it than just he had to forgive our sins, Okay. And uh, Paul continues to elaborate, verses 18 and 19. Again, the whole chapter, uh, you know, verses 12 through uh, uh, 24 or so is all on this subject. I just had to pull out snippets because we don't have time to go through it all. But verses 18 and 19, Paul makes this even more clear. Therefore, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. For by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So Adam's sin caused all of us to be condemned And Adam's sin caused all of us to be sinners. Now, again, we know this, okay? That part isn't new yet, but many times I don't think we actually stop to think about that. That's not really fair, is it? I mean, is that fair? Well, I mean, I wasn't there in the garden. I mean, sometimes I'd like to, you know, when I'm having problems in life, sometimes I'd like to go back there and have a word with Adam before he screws everything up for us, right? But that's not really fair, okay? One man does something, the rest of us get condemned, right? One man sins, the rest of us become sinners, okay? This is what theologians often call, so teach a little bit of theology here right off the bat, is what theologians often call original sin, okay? And what original sin is, is what Paul's teaching here, that somehow Adam sinning, okay? Somehow Adam sinning made all of us sinners. That's original sin. Somehow Adam sinning, one sin, one man, made all of us sinners, made all of us condemned. Now, we need to look a little more closely at what that means, because again, that just really doesn't seem fair, okay? How does, how does God hold us all responsible for what Adam did, okay? And so, before we discuss a little more, and again, until we understand the problem, until we really fully get a grasp of what original sin is, we're never going to really fully appreciate Easter, because what Jesus came to do is so profound, and I, and I hope to, by the end of this message, show you how profound uh, uh, it, it is what Jesus came to do when he died on the cross and rose again, okay? And so, but before we, we flesh out this original sin more, I first have to just show you what it's not. Sometimes, it's, easy, sometimes it's, it's a good thing to figure out what something is. You first have to figure out what something is not. And so, original sin is this idea that, that somehow Adam's sin made us all sinners. Now, what does that not mean, okay? Um, first of all, what Paul is not saying here is that God holds us responsible for what Adam did. On the surface, that seems to be what this passage is saying, but that is not what Paul is saying. He is not saying that you and I became guilty automatically as a result of what Adam did, so that somehow God is holding us responsible for what Adam did. On judgment day, you're not going to stand before God and God say to you, and now I have to discipline you because of you know, eating the apple in a Garden of Eden. You're like, I wasn't even there. Okay, you can't, you can't hold that on me. That is not what Paul's saying. When, when Adam sinned, he made us sinners. He didn't make us sinners in the sense that he passed his guilt onto us. And I need to show you a few verses here, first of all. God doesn't operate that way. God never holds people responsible for what somebody else does. Okay, and I want to just show you a couple of verses, Old Testament and New, just so that we're clear on what original sin is not. Okay, so Deuteronomy twenty four sixteen, God said this in the Law of Moses. Fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. Okay, I could show you many verses. Ezekiel 18 verse 20. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father. Notice that. The son shall not suffer the iniquity of the father. God says, I will not punish people for things that their father did, their mother did, their ancestors, their friends. I will not punish people for something someone else did. Okay? The son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father, nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself, okay? And so, so, first thing you have to understand, right from these Old Testament passages, I could show you many more, is that God never, he does not hold us accountable for something someone else does. You're not guilty the moment you're born because of something Adam did, okay? And uh, I mean, even New Testament verses like 2 Corinthians 5 verse 10, Paul says this, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, When when you and I, each one of us will someday have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of our lives, he does not hold us accountable for Adam. He does not hold you accountable for the family you grew up in. He does not hold you accountable for what loved ones did. You will give an account for what you did in in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, that's what Paul says there. Okay, so that's important. Now, um, one of the reasons this is important, and I have to do just a little rabbit trail here, because misunderstandings about original sin... Uh, it caused you know cause a little bit of some weirdness in doctrine. Um, um, some people teach because of Romans five. They look at Romans five and they say they see the verse. One man's sin made everyone else sinners, and what they take that to mean is the moment Adam sinned, his descendants all automatically became guilty of because of his sin. Okay, and what they take that what some people more than you might imagine actually some people teach uh, based on that. They teach that babies who die go to hell because babies are guilty of sin the moment they're born before they've even had a chance to sin themselves, okay? And so I just want to make it clear right now. I just showed you a bunch of verses. Babies are not born guilty of something they haven't done, okay? You know, when, you, when a baby is born or a baby in a womb, whatever, when that baby is born, it hasn't done anything wrong yet, Okay? Okay? And God's not going to hold that baby. That baby, if that baby dies in a womb or or right after, whatever, God doesn't look at that baby in in heaven and say, now I'm going to send you to hell because you're guilty of, and then all the sins that came before, that is not how it works. That baby hasn't had a chance to sin yet. It's got nothing to be held accountable before God for on judgment day. All right? So I just want to make that clear because misunderstandings can lead to a bad place. Nobody is in hell the, uh, let me say it the other way, the only people in hell are people who consciously rejected God to whatever, to whatever level he gave them revelation about himself. The, they totally rejected it. The only people in hell are people who consciously rejected God eternally, okay? And so n- there's not going to be anyone in hell who wasn't old enough to consciously reject, Reject whatever revelation God, you know, God gave them about Himself. Okay, does that make sense? So just get that out of the way. Okay, so that's what original sin isn't. Original sin does not mean that we are born guilty of somebody else's sin. You're not guilty until you do something bad. Okay, okay. Well, then what is? That's what original sin isn't. What is original sin then? Because original sin is true. Paul said, "One man's sin made everyone else sinners." So in what way did Adam's sin make me a sinner? He didn't pass on to me the guilt for his sin, but he passed on something else. So what is it that Adam passed on to me and then he passed on to each of you and all of us as a human race is he didn't pass on to us the guilt for his specific sin, only he will be accountable before God for that, but what he passed on to us was his broken sin nature. Okay, this is very important. He passed on to us, see... Um, the you know the moment Adam sinned, he was sent out of the garden. He was separated from God, he was separated from where God lives. And the Bible is very clear that anyone who's separated from Jesus, Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. The only way to be a whole person, the only way to be a loving, righteous, holy person is, is with Jesus, connected to Jesus, apart from me, John 15 apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus Jesus says, human beings who aren't connected to him are like branches that are broken off of a tree. They're just dead, okay? So the moment Adam sinned, he got kicked out of the garden. He got separated from Jesus, okay? What does that, the moment that happened, he ceased to be whole. Before that, he was connected to Jesus. The moment he got separated, he became broken, and all of his descendants are born into this broken state. He passed on to us our sin nature. A depraved sin nature because we were born separated from Jesus and only Jesus can make us whole. So we're born separate. We're born broken. From the moment we're born, we're born with rejection and selfishness and we try to and, and loneliness and all kinds of bad stuff and insecurity and, and and hate. And we try to fill these holes and these voids inside of us. We're just born that way. That's what we got from Adam. So what we were born with is not the guilt for his sin. We were born with a sin nature or what I would call a propensity to sin, we are born with this nature that, that we just will sin. If you give us enough time. I mean, that baby, the moment it's born, is not guilty of sin yet, but you give him enough years, and he will sin. Because he's got a sin nature, all right? So just like a baby rabbit, you know, a little quiz time here, a, a baby rabbit grows up to be what? Yeah. Well, you guys are a little bit slow. What, a horse, A pig? A snake, a rabbit, right? We got a couple of smart people here at the front. (laughs) A baby rabbit, I mean, it grows up to be a a big rabbit, right? Or a bigger rabbit, okay? Same with you're born with a sin nature. You're born with a bent towards sin because Adam was was separated from God and now you're born into that separated state. And as a result, just like a baby rabbit grows up to be a rabbit, you have a sin nature. You're not guilty of sin when you're born, but you will grow up to be a sinner. No matter how hard you try, you can't even overcome that because that's who you are. You know, I, I mean, that rabbit could try to be some, something else. I don't, I don't know. Uh, kind of off the top of my head here. I probably should have tried to write this down first. But, uh, you know, that rabbit, I don't know, the mom and daddy dies and, and someone, some caring soul, uh, rather than shoot it, decides to take it in maybe or something. And he uh, and takes this little rabbit in and maybe this rabbit looks and sees the puppy that lives at that house, and that rabbit wants to be a puppy. Well, that rabbit can try all it wants to be a puppy, but it'll only ever be a rabbit, and it can try and it can practice being a puppy. It can try barking, okay? It can try doing the things that puppies do, whatever those are, and it's just going to fail. It's going to be depressing, okay? You were born with a sin nature that you got from Adam, so you grow up to be a sinner, and you can try as hard as you want, And you can look at so-and-so and and -and so-and-so who maybe are living, you know, by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're living good lives, and you want to live there. You want to be that. You can read in the Bible about holiness and righteousness, and you can practice every day and try really hard, but a rabbit can't be a puppy, and a sinner cannot be holy and right. So you can try hard. You might even make it look okay on the outside, but if you go beneath the surface, you'll find that it's ugly. And so from the very beginning, that's what Adam passed on to you. You're not guilty of sinning when you haven't sinned yet, but you are born a sinner. In a sense, you are born with this nature, this propensity to sin, and you will sin. And you will experience sin and death in your life and in your relationships, and you can't, no matter how hard you try, do otherwise, because you are born with that nature, and you got it from Adam. One man's sin led to him being separated to God, from God, led to you being born into that situation. And that's what original sin is now the question is again how did adam's sin nature get passed on to us the bible doesn't go into a lot of mechanics but there isn't you know of exactly is it in the dna is it is it in the genes is it in the chromosomes Uh, the, the bible doesn't give us mechanics how did the sin nature go from adam to his next kid to the next to the next to the next all the way down to all of us all right but but in in a sense the bible just tells us that's what happened but there are some interesting things that we can see in the Bible. One of them in, in, is in a passage in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 21 to 22 says this. Uh, For as by a man came death, so that's Adam. So one man brought death on us all. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. That's Jesus. There's a contrast in both 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. Paul contrasts Adam and Jesus. And in verse 22, he says, i very interesting on this whole thing of Adam's sin nature getting passed on to us. Um, for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And we'll talk about the in Christ in just a little bit, but let's first talk about in Adam. We, we, we you know, kind of skim past these verses obviously, often when we're reading, and we don't stop to really think about what does that mean? What does that mean that all of us here died in Adam? What is that? Because that's what Paul says. As in Adam all die. We all die in Adam. How is it that we die in Adam? I've never met Adam, okay? I've never talked to him. He's been dead for thousands of years, okay? How is it that I die in him? How is it that you die in Adam, okay? Well, to understand what Paul is talking about here, take a step out for just a second. Uh, Jewish people in Paul's day and Bible writers, they had a way of talking about things that we have to understand, and they would sometimes talk about uh, a a person's descendants as being in that person while that person was alive on the earth, okay? So for example, in in Paul's time, you know, Jewish people could talk about the Jewish people having been, in a sense, in Abraham when Abraham was living on the earth. And because there's a sense, right? Because Abraham was their father. So there's a sense. So all the DNA and the chromosomes and the genes and everything that made up the Jewish people, they all came from from Abraham and Sarah, so there was a sense in which, as Abraham was on the earth, the Jewish people were already in him, and they would talk about that in that sense. In fact, there's an example of this in the Bible. Uh, I don't have time to look at it in the message; you can look it up uh, during the week. But if you if you want to write it down, in Hebrews seven, Hebrews chapter seven, the uh, writer of Hebrews is making a point, which I don't want to get into. It has into this message, but he's making a point about the the priestly line and Jesus being the priestly line. And in the course of his argument, he talks about how. The, Le- the Levitical priests, the priests of, of Levi in Israel, how they tithed to Melchizedek because they were in Abraham. And you'll remember, I- Abraham in Genesis, there's this strange story where Abraham, he goes to war, he rescues Lot. And at the end of it, Abraham tithes to this person Melchizedek. Kind of a mysterious person in the Bible. Okay, now when Abraham does that, there is no Jewish people. There is no such a thing as Levite priests because the Levites hadn't been born yet. Abraham had to have Isaac, who had to have Jacob, who had to have the twelve sons, one of whom was Levi. Out of Levi came the priests of Levi, okay? But anyway, the writer in Hebrews makes the point that the priests of Levi, Levi tithed to Melchizedek in a sense because they were in Abraham when Abraham did it, okay? And I only bring that up, the reason I bring that up is simply to say that there's this way of talking about things in the Bible whereby a person is in a sense the descendants of a person are in that person, in a sense, when that person is alive on the earth, okay? See, now you say, okay, well, what does this mean, for as in Adam all die? Okay, well, here's the thing. All of us, ultimately, are related, okay? And, and before you think too weird about that, okay, it's a long ways off, okay? We're like billions of cousins, some of us, so it's okay. But going back, all of us come from Adam and Eve, all of, the, all of the traits that make up who you are, the DNA, the chromosomes, the genes, that make up who you are. And the 7 billion people who are on the earth today, all were in Adam and Eve, that first couple. They had everything that we are. Every human being that you see, that comes from Adam and Eve. Okay? So there's a sense from And then they had kids, right? And then their kids and kids and kids kids, all the way down to us. We all go back. We all trace it back to them. Everything we have, genetically speaking, ultimately comes from Adam and Eve. Okay, so there's a sense in which, because we are Adam's descendants, there's a sense in which when he was in the garden and the stuff he was doing, we, and then when he disobeyed, we were in him when this happened. Does that make sense? So when Adam sinned, we, we're, we didn't sin in the sense that God holds us responsible. Only Adam's responsible for what Adam did. But then Adam gets kicked out of the garden, he gets separated from God, and now we get born out into that separated state. That's because we were in Adam. We don't get held responsible for what Adam did, but we experience the results, which is he he got kicked out of the garden, he got separated from God. Let me illustrate it for you this way. Uh, Imagine uh, you have a couple living in a third world country, and they wanna come to Canada and make a better life for themselves, okay? And this happens all the time. This is one of the things I love about our country, Canada, Is we've really been built a lot on on immigration and many people have come from terrible places in the world to make a good life here and it makes for a good country it's it's amazing okay so let's just imagine that there's a couple in a third world country somewhere and they don't have kids yet they want to come to Canada they want to start a family in Canada and enjoy the benefits and the blessings of being Canadian citizens and all the blessings we enjoy as, as being part of this country so they come here now let's imagine that sadly enough this couple makes some bad choices while they're here, before they become citizens, and they actually end up committing some kind of terrible crime, and so the government of Canada deports them, our government deports them, out of the country, back to the third world country where they came from, okay? Now, okay, so let's think about that. Okay, now, if they had had kids before they left, their kids would automatically be Canadian citizens. If they had kids while they were in Canada, those kids would automatically be Canadian citizens their parents might get deported out, but their, their kids could still have the passport. Their kids could still enjoy the benefits and blessings and privileges of being Canadian. They could come back someday, whatever, all right? But let's imagine that they didn't have kids yet. They came here. They get deported back out. They get kicked out, okay? Now they go back to the third world country. Now they have kids, okay? Now think about it. Those kids, no government is going to hold those kids legally responsible for what their parents did, right? Or at least, hopefully, they won't, okay? You know, some places are that bad, but they might hold the kids responsible. But generally speaking, um, uh, you know, most countries are not going to hold the kids legally responsible for what the parents did. All right? But do the kids experience the result of the separation? No question. See, in a sense, those kids were in their parents. Their parents were in Canada, and if their parents hadn't messed up, they could have been born in Canada. But their parents, because they were in their parents' when their parents sinned or broke the law, they now get born back out here. They get born into a place of separation and they cannot enjoy the benefits or blessings of being Canadian citizens, okay? In the same sense, Adam, we were in Adam. We're not held responsible for the sin itself. But when he got kicked out, we get born into this separated state because we were in him when it happened, all right? Does that make sense? Now, in addition to that, not only are we born separated from the heavenly city, separated from the Garden of Eden and all that is good there, But we're also broken, like I said before, we have this sin nature, this broken sin nature on the inside because we're born apart from Jesus. So broken people have broken kids. And so we're born broken to the core of our beings. It's not just that we're separated from the heavenly city and all that is good there. We're also, so we're in this broken place on the outside. We're also broken on the inside in that we're born separated from Jesus, separated from the the tree of life, separated from all those good things. Okay? Okay. So that is a huge, huge problem. And Paul sums this up actually perfectly in Romans chapter 7. I want to read you a chunk here. Romans 7, verse 15 to 24. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Now Paul, is, by the way, some people take this verse and they, they think Paul's trying to shirk responsibility. They think, I'm not responsible for my actions, it's just sin that did it. No, no. What Paul is talking about here is how broken his sin nature is. Okay? He's not saying we're not responsible. We make the choices. We make the choices. On the one hand, we are, this is, this is how badly we're trapped. On one hand, we are fully the ones who are responsible for our choices. God doesn't make us sin. The devil doesn't make us sin circumstances don't make us sin so on judgment day we are fully responsible for the sinful choices we make nobody made us sin so we're responsible the consequences are for us so that's on the one hand on the other hand we're completely broken and trapped in this nature we're fully responsible but we're fully broken you see how we're, we're just trapped fully responsible fully in charge of our choices and fully incapable of choosing right. Long term, we're sinful, we're broken, we're separated, because we were in Adam, so we got born into this state. None of the benefits or blessings of heaven, and depraved and twisted on our insides. Verse 19, or no, let's keep going, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me but that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Verse 19. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I mean, some of us can empathize, right? Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells it within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Just like the law of gravity. If I drop a ball, it's going to hit the floor. If I jump off this stage, I'm going to hit the floor. In the same way, my broken sin nature... Is guaranteed to sin it's the law of sin and death you've got the law of gravity in the physical world around us you've got the law of sin and death at work inside of us and just like I can't defy the law of gravity I can't jump up and make myself float no matter how hard I try in the same way in your sin nature you can't jump up and just be holy or good or righteous because at work in your nature is the law of sin and death and so it's a law that even when you do good, evil is right there close at hand. Verse 22. And by the way, that's for your whole life until the resurrection. And the moment you lose sight of that, by the way, you get prou- proud, and the Bible says pride comes before a fall. It doesn't matter who you are. We need to always keep in mind that our sin natures are depraved right to the end of our lives so that we cling on to Jesus. Even Pastor Ray, even Grace Fast, imagine it. It's possible for them to sin if they don't walk closely with Jesus. It's true. It's true. Any of us, because that, even when we do right, evil is close at hand. That's what the broken sin nature is. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And of course, the answer is Jesus. as he says in the next verse. And I want to develop that at the end of this message. We're going to go to Romans 8. I want to develop that just a little bit more. Okay? But first now we've got to talk about Easter because now I've developed the problem for you a bit. Jesus didn't just, he did come to forgive our sins. That is 100% correct. Uh, You don't need to correct someone who says that. That is a right answer, fully right answer. But he came to do so much more than that. Because if all he did was just wipe the slate clean, if he didn't deal with the Adam nature, the sin nature that I inherited and the separation that I have from God, if he doesn't deal with those things, I go right back into sin and death he can clean all the sins out that he wants, and I'll go right back into them just like a ball will drop and hit the ground if I drop it. That law of sin and death is at work in me. So Jesus had to do more than just forgive us. So what did he do? He set in stage a rescue plan, and there's two stages to it. He set in motion a rescue plan, two stages to it, in which he will rescue us. He will get rid of the separation between us and heaven and himself, and will also get rid of the Adam nature we've inherited in us. And there's two stages to this rescue plan. One is in the future, and one is present. Let's look at that, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting in verse 45, thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being, okay? And notice again, 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 5. Paul is constantly paralleling and contrasting Adam and Jesus. So the first Adam became a living being. That's all he did. God just breathed life in him. He became a living being. I'm alive, okay? And because of that, we all got physical life ultimately because of that Adam, because he had kids who 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 had us. The first Adam was sort of the starter of our physical life, okay? Okay? But the last Adam, speaking of Jesus, became a life-giving spirit. One Adam gave us physical life. One Adam gives us something else. We'll look at that in just a minute. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we, and just pay attention to this last verse. What an amazing verse this is. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, right now we bear the image of the first Adam, we shall also someday bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay? So I want you to notice up there, okay, two things. So let's look at Jesus. This is, this is where the hope of Easter. This is the hope of Easter. What did Jesus come to do? I want you to notice I've got two things up uh, underlined up there. The last Adam and the second man. When Jesus came to earth, he did not just come. He did come to forgive your sins. Amen. That's amazing. Love that but he came to do more than that he had to be fully human in order to do this but he came to be the last adam he came to be the last in adam's line the last of adam's family forgive me okay i was trying to sit not say adam's family as much as i could this message and I've, it's already out <laughs> but he came to be the last adam he didn't just come to forgive our sins he actually came to put a whole family line a whole family tree to death because everybody in adam's line inherits adam's brokenness just like i mean it's a sad thing but parents often i mean there's all kinds of diseases one of the sad things this broken world we're in people have diseases they can pass them on often to their kids uh and and we see it and, and you know our hearts break for that we pray for these kids but i mean there's there's moms they have hiv or serious conditions like that diseases and they can pass it on to their kids. The kid, the kid didn't, didn't do anything. He's just born with this disease. Why? Because he, he, that, he, that's his mom. It just passed on. You're born, and if you're in Adam's line, and all of us are, we're all Adam's descendants. And we got this broken sin nature passed on to us. You can't not have that because we're all from him. So in order to rescue us, Jesus had to do more than just forgive our sins. He had to put to death a whole Line of descendants, he had to put to death a whole family line that's completely broken with a sin nature. So he came to be the last Adam. He came to put that line to an end. Okay, but now it doesn't just help us if he only puts the line to an end. If he only puts Adam's line of descendants to an end, not, no hope there. Okay, because then we're just finished when we die. But he came to do something else too. He also came to be the second man. What's he talking about, the second man? The second man, imagine that there had been a second man in the Garden of Eden, okay? Imagine f- Adam had a brother, let's just say, okay? Imagine there was a second man in the Garden of Eden. Now, let's say everything else goes exactly like the way it is in the Bible now. So Adam sins, he gets separated from God, he gets separated from the Tree of Life, he has all of his descendants, including us, just like we see it today. We're in Adam's line, therefore we are broken, we're sinful, we have a sin nature, But there was a second man in the Garden of Eden. Let's say he doesn't disobey God. He doesn't get separated. Okay? He also has descendants, but his descendants are born in with Jesus, where Jesus lives. They're born in fellowship with Jesus. You've got these two lines of human beings. They're both closely related. They're both humans. But one line is sinful and broken to the core, inside and out, and one line is not. It's whole. Okay? They're both human beings, but they're Two lines of humanity, two lines of mankind. When Jesus came, he had to take on his humanity to do this. He had to be fully human. He's fully human, fully God. But this is part of the brilliance of God's plan. He died to put the last Adam, to be the last Adam, to put him to death. He was resurrected. Why was he resurrected? He died to put to death the old Adam line. He was resurrected to start a new line of descendants. He is the second man, okay? And the glory of the resurrection is that someday, this is our future hope. The glory of the resurrection is that someday, you and I will be reborn. You will get a new body. When you die, your Adam nature dies, never to come to life again. Oh, praise God, I'm I'm just thankful, very, very thankful for that. I don't want to see my old Adam nature anymore. I'm already sick of it today. But when I die, that Adam nature is gone. When you die, that Adam nature is gone. When you're resurrected, you get a new body. You're still you. You're still fully human. But your old Adam nature doesn't get resurrected. You get resurrected and reborn into a new family line that doesn't go back to Adam in the Garden of Eden anymore. You get reborn into a new family line where Jesus is the head. And you have been born right now. You're in Adam's line. So you've, you've inherited Adam's sin nature. But when you get resurrected, you will inherit Jesus' nature because you will be in Jesus, not in Adam. And here's the thing. This is actually an advantage Adam and Eve never had at the start. They were born into a perfect, or they were created in a perfect world, but they didn't have Jesus' nature to start. Because here's the thing about Jesus' nature. Jesus cannot sin. Impossible for him. Okay? Impossible for Jesus to sin. He is God. Remember, he's both God. He's fully God and he's fully man. He only desires to do what God desires to do, which is love, purity, righteousness. There is no sin inside of him. It would be impossible for Jesus to even want or desire to sin. And when you are reborn into his line, it'll be impossible for you too. Because you will receive Jesus' nature. Now, I just want to stop you for just a second. Let's put the heresy watch on quickly for just a moment. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me here and think that I'm teaching that we are becoming gods. We are in Jesus' family line in terms of his human nature. We will never become like him in the sense that he is God. You and I will only ever be always only human beings. You will never be a god. You will never be a goddess, ladies. It's, that's, that's out, okay? You will only ever be a human being. Jesus will always be both. But in his, from his human nature, you will not receive his God nature, but you will receive from his human nature, you will receive his nature. And you will be utterly set free of the Adam nature that is so broken and sinful today. You'll live for eternity, bubbling. Think of what is on Jesus' insides. He is full. That's heaven on the inside. We're going to get heaven on the outside. We always focus on heaven on the outside. One of the amazing things about heaven is not just the heaven on the outside, it's the heaven on the inside. He is full of joy. So much joy it would blow your old Adam joy circuits. OK? Your old Adam joy circuits right now, not capable of handling Jesus' joy. You'll be full of joy, holiness, purity, goodness, free eternity. Free to really live. That's what Jesus. that's the hope of Easter. That's the hope of Easter. That's the future hope, anyway. We get to take on Jesus nature we get a new family. No longer do we have the Adam nature in us. We live out of that for all eternity. Now the question is, some of you are thinking, well, that's all fine and good and great for the future. What about right now? I mean, is it just kind of grit your teeth and bear it and hang on until we get reborn into the new line? Or has Jesus given us anything in this in-between stage? And yes, he has. That's the hope for the future. But he has also given us something in the present. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, there's many passages you're going to look at, but we don't have time to go through them all. But Ephesians 1, 13 to 14, we see this. In Him, speaking of Jesus, notice all the in Him language. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Okay, now, interesting. That word there, guarantee, could also just as easily be translated down payment. It's the same thing. In fact, if, if you have an ESV, it's in the footnotes. It could be. They, they just, just picked guarantee, down payment, whatever it is. You can pick either one. Okay? But here's what we know. In the future, I get reborn. The old Adam nature is gone. I get reborn into Jesus' family. He's now my dad, which means my nature is like his. Oh, this is awesome. But in the meantime, so that's what's coming. That's what I look forward to. That's what we all look forward to. In the meantime, however, He hasn't left us with nothing, He has sealed us with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the down payment. You already, right now, have the down payment inside of you of what you're going to get in the end. You already have the taste. See, the Holy Spirit, now, in the future, when you get resurrected, it'll just be automatic. You won't even have Adam's nature anymore. It's not like you'll have to choose to do good. You just will be good, just like a rabbit is a rabbit. You will be in Jesus' line, and you will act like one of Jesus' descendants. You won't have to make choices even to do it. You just will be that. But right now, we're not there yet. We still have the Adam nature is still very much with you and I today. Some of you experienced it with your spouse on the way here this morning. You can confess to each other after, but the Adam nature is still there for all of us. Certainly your kids display it every day, especially if they're teenagers, okay? So the Adam nature is with us, but right now we're in an in-between stage because we don't just have the Adam nature in us. The moment you gave your life to Jesus, he gives you the Holy Spirit. Now you have two things. In the future, you'll just have Jesus' nature. In the past, you only had Adam's nature. Right now, though, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, which means that you've got the Adam nature in you, but you also have the Holy Spirit within you. Which means that you can choose the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee or the down payment of what's to come. Which means that you get to choose today in every moment which one you're gonna live out of. You can live out, you can keep living out of the Adam nature or you can begin to taste of the Holy Spirit who is already inside of you right now and the more you tap into the Holy Spirit who is very real and inside of you right now, you get to, every time you do that, you get to experience what life with Jesus' nature is going to be. Because His Spirit is in you. You get a taste. And the more you walk with the Holy Spirit in this life, the fruit of Him starts to come true in your life. You get heaven on the insides. And the more He begins to change you, that's the guarantee. That's the deposit. That's the down payment. That's the proof of what's coming. So you look at some of the people in your life who've been radically transformed by Jesus. I think of that testimony up there. I was crying during the, the, the song, you know, that the, the special they did, and I'm not the same as I used to be. And I look at how I used to be on the inside and how I am today. And I look at my wife and how she used to be and how she is today. And look at other people I know and how they used to be and how they are today. And that real change that is brought by the Holy Spirit is the proof to me that the resurrection is a real thing that's coming. That's what he says. That's the down payment. That's the proof. Yeah, glory to God. We can give him a, a, a round of applause for that. Amen. It's a real thing, okay? Now, okay, sad thing. That's the exciting thing in theory. That's the exciting thing in theory. The theory's great in theory, I have the Holy Spirit in me, I can already begin to taste of heaven and the resurrection today. I can begin to taste it today. The sad thing is, why do so many Christians not experience it? I look at my own life. I don't point just at you guys. I look at my own life. How come have I spent so many days and weeks and months and years added up in my life not tasting of heaven if the Holy Spirit is in me? And I can live out of the Jesus nature rather than the Adam nature. Why then do we not do that? And again, what I've been stressing here over and over again is this is not automatic. Just being a Christian doesn't mean that you're living in Christ. To live in Christ means to live out of his Jesus nature and to live in his family rather than to live out of your Adam nature and the results of being in his family. And Paul talks about this at length, and I don't have time to go through it all. But Romans chapter 8, I want to read you the first 11 verses, and this will be my challenge at the end of the message. Is to go home and take three or four times this week to read through and meditate on Romans 8. Because in Romans 8, Paul celebrates the truth I'm talking about here today, but he also gets intensely practical as to how do we live this out? How do we go from the theory to the practical? How do I actually live in Christ? Let me just read you a bunch of verses, and I'll leave you with one thought, and then we can pray and worship. And Paul says this, Romans 8 verse 1, very famous passage, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. A lot of Christians take this totally wrong. A lot of Christians take this to be, um, there's therefore now no condemnation for me no matter what I do, because, and so what they take it to mean is I can keep living in my Adam nature, doing whatever I like and there's no condemnation for me because I'm in, no. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying there is therefore now no condemnation for anyone who calls themselves a Christian. He says there is now therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. If you continue to live in your Adam nature for yourself and for your Adam nature, you continue to reap the, the very real, the law of gravity says a ball falls, hits the ground. If I, if I let it go, the law of sin and nature says if I live in this, the Adam nature, I reap Sin, death, condemnation. Now, certainly it's true, we all make mistakes. If I'm pursuing Jesus, if I'm pursuing him, I'm in him. If I'm pursuing him and I'm loving him and I'm repenting, it's true that this verse does say he does not, God doesn't have a condemning spirit to me. He's cheering me on, he picks me up. I can mess up a hundred times, a thousand times, but I'm pursuing him. And so he forgives me. Okay? this verse is not saying that I can just blatantly live in the Adam nature and just live for the Adam nature and not experience condemnation. If I live in the Adam nature, I experience condemnation. If I live in Christ and out of his spirit, there is no condemnation for me. Verse 2, for, because, he's now explaining verse 1, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Paul uses the word law in his writings to mean all kinds of different things. But here, literally, I keep using the, the analogy of the law of gravity. He's, he's using the, the word law here to, re, to refer to like a force, a law of, of physics, a law of something that just works, a force that works in our lives. If you live in the atom nature, the law, just like gravity works in our physical world, the law that works in your atom nature is sin and death. That's the only thing you get from that nature. It can't give you anything else. The law of sin and death rules there everything you try to do, even your best efforts in the Adam nature are sin and death. That's the law that works there. But you now have the Holy Spirit in you. If you live out of the Spirit, if you live in Christ, then the law that is at work there is the law of the Spirit of life. And the law of the Spirit of life sets you free from the law of sin and death. So don't go back and live in the Adam nature. This law is actually more powerful than this one if you live in this one. Say, well, how come? I have always Holy Spirit in my life. How come I have so much sin and death in my life? Well, verses three to five, four, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. These promises do not just apply just, I call myself a Christian, therefore I'm in the Spirit. No, Who walk there's a daily choice we make. You make a choice to walk in the flesh or you make a choice to walk in the spirit. If you want to reap the spirit of life, you must must choose to walk according to the spirit. If you want to continue reaping sin and death, then you choose to walk by the flesh. Verse 5, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's so many more practical things that we could look at here, but just one thing. We need to set our mind on the things of the spirit. As long, If you want to experience the benefits of Easter, you don't experience the benefits of Easter when you're living in the flesh. The benefit of Easter is you don't have to live in the flesh. You can live in the Spirit and begin to taste of heaven. But as long as you're living your life to pursue money, to pursue whatever it is that you're pursuing, instead of pursuing Christ's kingdom, you're pursuing, you want people to, to like you. You're pursuing glory. You're pursuing, you know, comfort. You're pursuing pleasure. As long as you live out of that place, your mind is set on the things of the flesh, and you can only reap what is from the flesh. But Jesus came so that you could already begin today to start to live in such a way that you taste the resurrection today. You taste what that's gonna be like. You can taste what it's like to have Jesus' nature in you because the Holy Spirit is in you. But in order to do that, it's not automatic. It's often very difficult, actually, because your mind wants to go to the things of the flesh. And so Paul says it's actually, it takes an act of the will, you must set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That's some practical things I'd like to say there, but you know what? I think the best thing I can do is get you to read and meditate and pray about it this week. Let me finish with this verse. The very next verse is this If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about that. Oh, this has been my verse the last couple of days. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, think about that. It is, he is there. Then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I think the best thing for practical advice here would be for you to spend time meditating on this passage. So I'm gonna give you the weekly challenge for this week. See what Jesus begins to speak to you and change in you. I would challenge you to read Romans 8, the first 17 verses. I mean, do the whole chapter. Say, oh, Chris, stop me from reading the whole thing. No, no, just (laughs) read the whole thing. Great. But at least read the first 17 verses. Do it three or four times, not just once. Do it every day, sure, but three or four times. And ask Jesus these questions. Let the Holy Spirit begin to speak to you because His Spirit's in you. He'll teach you better than I can even teach you. But ask Jesus, as you read through it, read through it over and over again this week, ask Jesus, first of all, show me strategies. Have you ever asked Jesus a practical question like that? Show me strategies for setting my mind on you. The more you set your mind on the things of His Spirit, and I could tell you some practical things I've done, just little things, but the more you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, the more you live and experience the resurrection in your life, that's the hope of Easter. Someday you're going to live out of Jesus' nature. Number two, ask Him every day that you're reading in Romans there show me strategies for putting the deeds of my Adam nature to death. And lastly, begin to ask Him help me to experience life in your spirit more fully. Let the Holy Spirit teach you about life in the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the great teacher. You, I First of all, I thank you that at Easter you died to make, you died to put to death our Adam natures, which we hate. That our Adam nature is so broken, so wicked, so sinful. We're tired of living in the Adam nature. But you have actually sent your spirit to live inside of us. Literally, he is inside of us, and we can live in that place. We can tap into the Holy Spirit, and we can live out of that place. Please this week, Jesus, I pray that you would teach us as we read this passage and as we meditate on it, would you take us here itself into a whole new level of living in the Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.